So good morning to you, so glad you're with me today. I want to start this morning by making an observation that there is an imposter in the United States House of Representatives. He goes by the name of George Santos of the third district of New York. Among the litany of misrepresentations George made to the voters, George claimed to have worked at two of the largest financial institutions in the country, but he never did. He alleged to have graduated from a college that has no record of his ever attending. And George finally claimed that he is Jew-ish. When a person says they're Jewish, they could be referencing at least two different things. They could be saying they have Jewish ancestry, or they could be saying that they are Orthodox Jews. They adhere to the Jewish faith. We know that George was talking about the former, claiming to be of Jewish ancestry. But there is also Orthodox Judaism. When Paul says in verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew, he's not talking about the ancestry. He's not saying if you say that you are a descendant of Abraham, he's not talking about the lineage. Paul is referring to the Jewish religion. And at its best and at its most mature stage, a Jew would be one, Paul says, who relies upon the law, verse 17. One who rests in, trusts in, and has faith in the law of Moses. There is a saying in the Mishnah, the Jewish books of interpretation of the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Abbot 1 and 2, it states this, by these three things is the world sustained. By the law, by the temple service, and by deeds of kindness. By these three things is the entire world sustained. To be Jewish is to place your faith in the idea that the world is sustained by the law of Moses. And the Jewish person relies heavily upon the law the same way most Christians place great faith in the scriptures, in the Bible. Is that a problem? We'll get back to that later. Paul goes on to say a Jew is also one who boasts in God. To boast is to take pride in something. The Jewish person takes pride in the idea that God belongs to them. They believe God belongs to them exclusively, in an exclusive way. They have a patent on all things divine. They have a copyright on the Almighty himself. They boast in God. He is ours and not theirs. Paul says a Jew is also one who knows God's will. He knows what God want. He knows what, knows what God wants. He knows what God desires. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, have explained it to them. 
And the Jewish person believes himself to understand it very well. And make no mistake, knowing God's will is extremely important. But just as important as understanding the will of God, it is just as important to understand the ways of God. I'm sure you know this, that God can be very unconventional. God doesn't always do things the conventional way. So much so that sometimes God's ways don't immediately appear to be in alignment with his own will. I'll give you an example. The children of Israel understood by the seven plagues that came upon the people of Egypt, the people of Israel understood that it was God's will that they be set free from bondage in Egypt. They understood the will of God. Because of his promises to their forefathers, they understood God's will to be that they should be a free people. And they were right. They understood God's will. But something happened when they came to the Red Sea. Something happened when Pharaoh's army began to close in on them at that Red Sea. Many of them could not fathom a way out of this situation. How is God going to deliver us? They understood God's will, but they could not imagine how God would bring his will to pass. Then, then God parts the Red Sea, and now they see his way. They understood his will, but they did not understand his ways. And to appreciate the ways of God requires something more than just religion. But today, this is not an assessment of the Jewish faith. So let's go on. Paul goes on to say that to be a Jew is to be able to distinguish the things that matter. To be a Jew means to be discerning, to be wise. Wisdom is a hallmark of the Jewish faith to understand not only what must be done, but when and how and why certain things must be done. To distinguish the things that matter, to rightly prioritize all of life and all of living. And finally, Paul says, a Jew is one who is instructed from the law. His whole life revolves around the law. All of his decisions are based upon the principles of the laws of Moses and the official interpretations of that law. His life is instructed by the law. Notice this, notice this. Paul is addressing those who call themselves Jews. We can't miss the sarcastic manner in which he states it. He says, you call yourself a Jew. You are a self-declared chosen person of God. You call yourself a Jew because as far as you can tell, you have met all the religious criteria in accordance with the law. You call yourself a Jew. We have to apply Paul's words to the Jews because he's talking to the Jews and we have to understand his wording in the context. But the truth of the matter is this. It really doesn't matter what name they go by, whether Jew or Muslim or Christian, the principle remains the same. You call yourself a Muslim, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a Buddhist, 
In other words, Paul's opening here can apply to any person who is deeply religious or devout. You call yourself an evangelical. You call yourself a conservative. You place your trust in the Bible. You claim God as yours exclusively. You claim to know God's will. You claim to know what matters because of what you read in the Bible. You are instructed by the scriptures. And for the most part, there is nothing wrong with any of that. There is nothing wrong with being deeply religious. Paul is not deriding the religion and Paul is certainly not deriding the Jewish religion. He is only describing what being deeply religious entails. And for the most part, there is nothing wrong with any of these religious characteristics. The problem comes when the deeply religious person's piety becomes a source of unwarranted pride. Paul says that because of their religious piety, the deeply religious person is confident that he himself is a guide to people who are blind. Now we start seeing the problem. Because of your religion, your religious piety, you consider yourself, you have proclaimed yourself to be a guide to people who are blind. Two things going on here. First, the deeply religious person thinks too much of himself, thinks too much of his faith practices, thinks too much of his supposed religious status. He thinks too much of himself. And second, he thinks too little of anyone who does not follow his way. You call yourself a Jew and because of these criteria that you have met, you have placed yourself above other people. You have called yourself a guide to people who are obviously blind, apparently blind, because they don't see the way that you do. You have assigned yourself and your religious practices as the ideal. And you have assumed that everyone else needs to follow your guidance. And what's most ironic about his prideful attitude is that it tends to uncover the fact that he really doesn't know God's will at all. And he actually doesn't know what really matters. He thinks he matters. As Paul has described for us the characteristics of the deeply religious person, it is interesting to notice some characteristics that Paul does not mention. You call yourself a deeply religious person. You are grateful to God for choosing you. No. You call yourself a deeply religious person. You walk humbly among men and before your God. No, he doesn't say that. You call yourself a deeply religious person and you love God. He doesn't even say that. No. Paul doesn't allude to any of these traits when talking about the deeply religious person because the deeply religious are religious not for God's sake but for self-certitude. Their deeply religious piety gives them confidence not in God, but in themselves. You are confident that you are, not confident that God is. 
observation here. Believe it or not, and this comes from religious psychology, believe it or not, a lot of deeply religious people are merely insecure. Let that sink in. Uncertain of who they are. Unable to distinguish between themselves and the world around them, and so they run to religion to find meaning and purpose for themselves. And they labor under the false assumption that being affiliated with a certain religious group, a certain religious tradition, and by mastering that tradition, they have become more relevant. They have found themselves. They have arrived at the pinnacle of life and of all that truly matters. And by their religious piety, they hide from the rough and tumble of relationships, hiding before their, behind their faith as the reason they can't associate with the people around them. I'm too different. I'm too special. I'm too acquainted with spiritual things to be bothered by simple things like relationships and loyalty and honesty. I have arrived. I have no time for that. I have no time for you. I am deeply religious. Merely insecure. The only thing the deeply religious person has to offer the world is advice and counsel and nothing else. Direction and guidance and nothing else. And in their condescending mindset, they view everyone around them as the lost and only they have found the way, the deeply religious. <laughs> Paul goes on to say that the deeply religious assign themselves as a light to those in darkness. You can't see without me. That's how, that's how righteous I am. You can't even see without me. I am a light to those in darkness. You can't find your way without my instruction. They assign to themselves the right and the authority to be, Paul says, a corrector of the foolish. Hmm. In other words, they view themselves as wise and all who come into their orbit as fools. They consider themselves, Paul says, as teachers of the immature. Assuming themselves to be fully grown and everyone around them is our spiritual babes. That's the deeply religious person. Paul says, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. And this is the rub. This is the deeply religious person's predicament. That they them, themselves do not embody the knowledge and the truth of God. But they believe this knowledge and truth to be external to themselves. The compilation and culmination of words and letters found in books. Words and letters that were never written upon their own hearts. This is the predicament of the deeply religious. The deeply religious person has mastered the law, but the law has not mastered them. The deeply religious person has penetrated the mysteries of the Bible, but the Bible has made no headway into their souls in a way that causes any real transformation. And that is the malady of the deeply religious 
quick to hurl accusations at others, quick to call out the indiscretions of others while they have no power besides their own self-will to ward off those very same transgressions. And Paul calls them out. But it is important that we understand that Paul is not talking about the Jew or the religious person in general. Paul is addressing the Jews or the deeply religious who are excessively confident in their spiritual status. That's who he's talking to. Paul is speaking to the legalist and the self-made righteous person who depends on their knowledge of God's word and God's will and their own spiritual assessment as validation of their worthiness before God. That's who Paul is talking to. If I could say it in a couple words, Paul is speaking to the religiously prideful Christian. Let's bring it home. Don't need to talk about the Jews all day. I'm not Jewish. Paul is talking to the religiously prideful Christian and to the puffed up Jew. He challenges them and says this, you therefore who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who have assumed the title of master and teacher, do you apply the words you teach to your own life? Do you place upon your own shoulders those same requirements and expectations that you so gladly place upon others? Do you flawlessly adhere to the same rigorous standards that you require of your fellow man? Serious questions. Paul continues his inter interrogation and says this, you who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? Uh-oh. You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? And as far as Paul the apostle is concerned, this is a rhetorical string of questions. A question to which Paul already knows the answer. And deep inside, when the crowd is not watching, the deeply religious person knows the answer as well. Even if he never admits it in public. And the answer is yes. Yes, the deeply religious person steals. Yes, the deeply religious person commits adultery. Yes, the deeply religious, religious person worships idols. Both the deeply religious Christian and the prideful Jew, as well as the deeply religious and prideful evangelical. <laughs> yes, you commit the same sins that you preach so fervently against. And how can Paul be so certain of this? How can Paul be so certain that the religiously prideful person is committing all of these transgressions? How can he be so sure? Well, the answer is simple. Because pride always precedes destruction. And an arrogant spirit always precedes a fall. That's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Paul is certain that they are falling because they're filled with pride. Paul is certain that they will be destroyed because they are filled with arrogance. He knows the answer is yes. He knows that their life is a pretense. He continues, you who boast in the law, 
through your breaking the law. Now that he's answered the question, you are breaking the law. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? I want you to notice what has happened to the pridefully religious person. The pridefully religious person has usurped the authority of the law. The pridefully religious person has stripped the law of its its mantle and assumed its role. You see, you see, you see. The law is supposed to be a guide to the blind. The law is supposed to be a light to those in darkness. The law is supposed to be the corrector of the foolish and the teacher of the immature. That is the job of the law. But the pridefully religious person places himself above the law. He has assigned himself a special status. The rules do not apply to him. He is the administrator of the law and not the student of the law. He has usurped the authority of the law. Listen. This applies to any and every person who finds their sense of spiritual security in a strict adherence to the law. This applies to any and every person who considers themselves safe from God's judgment because they knew the rules and applied them as best they could. This kind of person is hard on themselves and there is no doubt they are harsher and even more scrupulous when it comes to the deeds of others. And you can easily identify them because of their constant ridicule and their judgmental attitude. Paul lets us know that whatever they are accusing someone else of, they are more than likely committing the same transgressions. As Paul says, because of their hypocrisy, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Because of their prideful posture, because of their harsh and condescending attitude, and because of their inability to live up to the very rules they demand of everyone else, the world considers their religion to be a farce. The world considers their God to be a jester. The world considers God's law to be merely oppression, and religious piety is of no value because of their hypocrisy. You can just look back over the last five or six years and you can see the hypocrisy of Christianity in America. And you can see the world looking at us and saying, the name of your God is blasphemed. Your God is a joke. You have no principles. You have no morals. You have no standards. Whatever fits you, whatever is good for you. Yeah. Who, who, who gives them validation? Who has given them the opportunity and the ability to, to say this? The religiously prideful who demand more of everyone else, nothing of themselves. The world says to the church that baptism is of no value. Your God is of no value. Your God has no values. Hmm. For indeed, Paul says, circumcision is of value, but only if you practice the law. Now he's talking to the Jews. And the sign of the Jewish person's covenant with God is circumcision. The cutting off of the foreskin. 
Just as the symbol of followers of Christ are covenant with Jesus Christ is baptism. So since none of us are Jewish, I'm going to exchange the word circumcision for baptism and read that again. For indeed, Paul says, baptism is a value, but only if you practice the faith. Yeah. The sign, your symbol of Christianity, it, it does have value, but only if you practice the faith. If you are a lover of God, if you are a lover of men, then your baptism has value. Baptism is a value if you hold fast to your confession of faith. But, Paul says, if you are a violator of the law, or, in our case, if you are a violator of the faith, your circumcision or your baptism has turned into uncircumcision or you are unbaptized, you have become non-baptized. Your baptism doesn't even count. You went into the water a dry devil and you came out of the water a wet devil. You're still a devil. You have not changed. You have great confidence in the fact that you have been baptized. You view it as a symbol of your religious status, but unless you fight the good fight and unless you earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to you, your baptism and your external demonstration of faith and piety is hallowed. And you have no cause to be confident when you stand before God because God's name has been made a laughingstock because of your hypocrisy. Huh. We're walking this dog. <laughs> so Paul says, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? Hmm. If the non-Jew, the person who has not been circumcised, or if the non-Christian, the person who has not been baptized, adheres to the law of Moses or adheres to the law of faith, will his non-baptism be regarded as baptism by God? Yes. He may not be as religiously pious as you think you are. He may not be as biblically literate as you. But if he keeps the law of faith from a sincere heart, he will be regarded by God as one of his own. And you, religious, pious person, you will not be. And the only prize for your righteous piety will be the accolades of men and your own sense of self-righteousness. That will be your reward. While here on earth, you may have assigned yourself to be the unbaptized person's judge in the day of the wrath of God, that same person whom you viewed at with a jaundiced eye will be your judge. Paul says, he who is physically uncircumcised, or in our case, he who is physically unbaptized, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a violator of the law? Will he not judge you? Who, though having the letter of the law, are a violator of the law. I asked the question of us earlier. 
whether or not the believer's reliance upon the Bible was a problem? And the answer is no and yes. Is the Christian's reliance upon the Bible a problem? No. And yes. The believer's reliance upon the written word of God is not a problem in the sense that faith comes by hearing. And we need the word of God in order to inspire faith. In order to... But on the other hand, if you and I read the word of God, but never allow the word of God to penetrate to the depths of our being and cause change and transformation in our lives, the Bible just becomes for us a book of rules and codes and principles that while we may regard them as true and necessary, we have no intimate knowledge or experience of the words that we are reading. We are deeply religious and we probably read our Bibles more than those who have true faith. But the words that we read never inundate our hearts. They guide us from without. They guide us from the outside and they have no power to change us or to make us acceptable to God. They're simply letters on a page. Paul concludes, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. That's what he was driving at the whole, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Or again, in our case, he is not a follower of Christ who is one outwardly. And true baptism is not that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a follower of Jesus who is one inwardly. And circumcision or baptism is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. <laughs> you call yourself deeply religious. But unless the Holy Spirit has transformed you from within, your external Adherence to the laws and the rules of faith and theology are hollow and you are found wanting. And all of the external markers like Bible study and fasting and prayer and attending church service and attending small group, they're just red herrings. Your professed faith is false and you are yet in your sins. Hmm. And Paul concludes, that the person who is a true follower of Jesus Christ does not look to men, does not look to statutes to affirm their place in God. The person, the true follower of Jesus Christ, relies upon the testimony of the Holy Spirit that speaks within them, confirming within them that they are the children of God. Or as Paul says it, the person who is a follower of Jesus Christ receives his praise not from people, but from God. The deeply religious person depends upon the law, the written code, the written text, 
The deeply religious person depends upon their own self-assessment to their adherence to the law. The deeply religious person depends on other people's affirmation to confirm who they are in God. But the person who is transformed by the Holy Spirit receives affirmation of their faith from God alone. And this is the difference between the deeply religious and the true followers of Jesus Christ. The unfortunate truth is that the deeply religious person doesn't always recognize or realize that he or she is just an empty suit. The person who is deeply religious cannot fathom that they would ever commit atrocities, transgressions, and sins. The deeply religious person thinks too much of themselves, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests who while understanding the law thou shalt not kill, hung our savior on a cross and murdered him. The deeply religious. <laughs> Completely unaware of their disconnection from almighty God, they thought they had arrived. And Jesus Christ came into the world and proved that they had not arrived. And that they were not who they claimed to be. You call yourself. A Jew. You call yourself a Christian. But if you are depending only upon the written text and your ability to obey the written text, if you are depending upon some personal self-assessment to gauge whether you're in or out with God, if you are depending upon anyone outside of yourself, even your pastor, to affirm or to confirm that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you are simply deeply religious and you've missed the point. I want to go on from here and keep on preaching right now. I hate to leave you sitting on the edge of your seat, but we're gonna stop for today and we'll pick it up next week and continue on. I hope you're enjoying this, man. I'm enjoying it so much. Let's pray. Father and our God, we are a competitive people. And to some degree, you made us this way. We desire to be the best and to do the best. We desire to accomplish. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to simply rest in your grace. Instead, we apply to ourselves all kinds of rules and regulations. And we force ourselves to fail. We make ourselves hypocrites before a watching world and give them reason to blaspheme your name. Father, today we confess that we are not people of the law that we have not been called to be or to remain under the law, except the law of grace, the law of faith, and the law of love. Set us free from perfectionism. 
Help us not to be deceived into believing that because we've met some external criteria that we are your children. But fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to rely solely and completely upon his affirmation of who we are in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.